0: On today's podcast, we are welcoming one of our oldest supporters, and not by age, I mean by tenure, of how much he has been loving bricks for all these years and providing such a pathway not only for students, but also for the rest of the architectural community to see how they have showcased brick in all of their applications. I'd like you to welcome Stephen Neal from Neeson Merk at Neal Architects. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. It's great to be here. I have mentioned in the introduction, you actually won one of the first Think Brick Awards, which was the About Face Award for yes. your work when you were with mm-hmm. Pendle and Neal. And we will go back and revisit that. Sure. But I wonder before we do, whether you can just talk a little bit about your childhood and what growing up up was like for you
1: so i grew up in perth enjoying living scarborough beach beside the ocean dad was a pilot so a lot of traveling really enjoyed the family in that place mother's italian background so big family and a lot of time spent spent with family and friends
0: and how big was your family
1: myself brother and sister
0: and when did you know, like, as a child, were you interested in building things or art? How did you know architecture was going to be?
1: I was always making things. I mm-hmm. love making models, model aircraft. I drew yachts all the time when I was probably when I was meant to be concentrating in class. But mm-hmm. I love boats, love sailing, love drawing, and love making things. Mm-hmm. That's took my bike apart all the time and put oh, it back wow. together. And, I think Dad was a bit uh, worried. Apparently he gave me a train set when I was about three or four. He spent all night assembling it on a board and he gave it to me for Christmas. He had to go flying, came back. I'd neatly unscrewed every piece and put it back in its box.
0: <laughs> it would have been devastating. <laughs> yeah, he was. We've all done that as parents, um, assembling these things. Mm-hmm. And when you say that there was a lot of travel, did you get to travel with your father? I
1: did. I used to travel in the jump seat in those days. So. Ah. I was able to sit up the front of the aircraft and travelled northwest Australia and mainly in, in Western Australia Okay, that's where Dad was flying. Okay, so he was,
0: yeah, flying yeah, up yeah. to the… Yeah,
1: and then we spent a year in Malaysia in Kuching. Oh, wow. In Sarawak, Borneo, which was wonderful. Had a um, pet orangutan and they had to then give that on to the zoo. His name's Bullet. Oh. He was still there a while ago.
0: Oh, wow. And yeah. how old were you when that
1: happened? Grade four, so ten. Okay, 10 years old. Was yeah. Quite transformative, actually. No TV there, so a lot of reading, a lot of experiencing in the jungle, yeah. a lot of swimming. The
0: Was there a fair bit of freedom while you A were there? lot. And with the travelling around Australia, did that change the way you saw things? Because, I mean, not many people would have had that opportunity.
1: Yes. Profoundly connected to seeing the earth from the sky. So those pictures of landscape and geometry of roads, geometry of towns, that has a, yeah, quite a profound um, sense of the country, the sense of place mm. for me. And aligns quite nicely with indigenous. Yeah, clearly they were constructing that from their minds, which is just so powerful. But to see that, I I'd still always take a window seat and look yes. down and enjoy that. Mm.
0: What stage in yours in your senior school have you chosen architecture? Or
1: I wanted to be a naval architect, actually. Okay. So the drawing of boats. At that time, though, you either had to become a boat builder, which I did. I left school and became got an apprenticeship as a boat builder in Fremantle. I was treated so badly, as in I swept the floor, I think, for about five or six weeks. And I was interested in seeing some plans or drawings. and yeah. you know, I'd ask questions and they just had no interest in. So I quit, went back to school and <laughs> decided architecture was the way to go.
0: So you went back to school. Yep. And then who suggested architecture or did you just come up with that?
1: No, I think, you know, you do... I thought naval architecture and cross off the naval, you get the architecture. I was basically there. I loved building. I worked for my uncle who's a structural engineer. And mm-hmm. He always had jobs during the holidays. So I worked for him. Another uncle was a bricklayer. I worked for him a lot. I loved being on site. Mm-hmm. So, really you I always had that connection.
0: Yeah, and where did you study?
1: So, first year I studied at Wait, it was called then with Australian Institute of Technology. Okay, under Bill Busfield and. Jeff Warren, which was just the most transformative, enjoyable year. When we did those studios with Bill and Jeff, I thought, I found my home. This, this, is, this is it. And then at the end of first year, I did very well. I really enjoyed it. At the end of first year, went into second year. Second year, another studio teacher <laughs> said, well, forget everything you learned last year. We're going to deal with the reality of making projects and looked at project homes and so on. And I actually quit. Oh, walked wow. out the door. <laughs> As I'm walking out the door, there's a sign on the on the notice board. You know, student required. So I took the sign down, <laughs> called the architect. It happened to be John Andrews, John Andrews International. They were doing the Merlin Hotel in Perth. I rang, got the job. I didn't know who John Andrews was yeah. at that time, but um, so did that for a year. And then when that job finished, they said, "Would you like to come and work for us in Sydney?" So. I was nineteen. I said I do, and uh, landed on my feet. Arrived, lived in North Sydney with a friend's mother for a little while, and then travelled travelling up to Palm Beach because John's office was a uh, in a boat shed on Pittwater. Oh wow! And then uh, worked there for a couple of years, living in Whale Beach. One of the younger partners was going to Adelaide. <laughs> nice <laughs> to do a job down there, and said, "Would you like to look after my house?" And I did. So I was. That was my introduction to Sydney living wow. in Wild Beach and that's working a pretty at Palm good Beach. introduction. It was. And I love working with John. It was in a magnificent office. Really good people coming through there. He had a really strong connection with Harvard University. You know, graduates were always coming through the place. Great partners. I just enjoyed it. John had called me up on Friday afternoon because I was the young student in the office. Yeah. You know, Show us your work. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so he'd critique me and Yeah, Joel Jackson had come up from Melbourne and they, I think it was just a lot of fun for him. Anyway, end of that happened. John said, Look, Stephen, I think you should go. I was going to New South Wales Institute of Technology then. Yes. Okay. I finished the first degree and John said, What do you think about Sydney University? I said, Oh, you know, need to keep working. He said, Well, don't think about it too long because I've already applied, you know, (laughs) rung them and said, Oh, wow. You're going to apply. So I did and got in. That's where I met Rachel and, Nick and Dave Osting, a lot of very good people, actually.
0: So how long had it been since you first started? Because, I mean, all of the Perth architects we speak to mm-hmm. talk about Jeff and Bill. I mean, yep. they're legendary. And so how long had that been just on a timeline? 1982 since, was right, when you first, first year there. Yep. Yep.
1: And actually, when the 1990 recession hit, I was working for Romaldo Jogla or Mitchell Jogla and Thorpe, as they were at the time, recession hit they didn't weren't going to get rid of everyone they were just everyone had to take a 30 percent pay cut or something like that It was a terrible recession it was my son had just been born at manly hospital we didn't have any family here we thought oh can we survive this jeff Warren rang and said there's a job going at Curtin university teaching you know running a studio would you be interested i said i would so yep that's when i headed back to wa right ran first year studio became head of department employed people like Simon Pendle, okay, <laughs> taught Kieran Wong, Emma Williamson, a lot of very, very good people. Met Adrian at that time, Martin Hook at that time, Finn, Rahman Jeromey, who actually supervised his thesis and then at the end of it, I said, you need to go to Sydney and work. There's not enough good work going on <laughs> here at the moment. So I sent him to go and have a look at Mitchell, Jugger and Thorpe and I think he worked for them for a while.
0: What did you find the difference, obviously you've had that sort of little bit of hindsight between, obviously, Western Australia and Sydney. Yep. What Was there a difference in how they approached architecture? Yep,
1: there's a very, very strong difference. Talk me through that. Western Australia comes from a mining mindset. Yep. It just does. And architecture is almost seen as something on top of the building, you know, something sort of additional. Okay. I find in Sydney it's absolutely integrated. People want architecture. People want what it delivers. People enjoy the beauty. It's an absolute value add. So they're very different. When I went back to Perth, I used to go to the um, Donaldson or Morn Christmas party every year. Jeff and I would have our annual argument about Jeff would be saying it's so hard to practice architecture. I said, Jeff, you've got to be positive. You've got to make it work and at the end of the night, Jeff Warren was saying Jeff that, Warn, yeah. oh my he goodness, like, like, he said it's hard here, and I said yeah I know, but we've got to change it, we can make it, at the end of the night we'd agree to disagree, and anyway, I got married here five years ago, and Jeff was at the wedding, called Jeff in, I'd been practicing a little while here, then I said Jeff, you know that argument we had, you were right, <laughs> it's oh. hard to practice Wow. In Perth. so I admire anyone that's doing really good work there, Yeah. not that the talent isn't there, it's Absolutely, there. Wonderful schools of architecture. Wonderful people. Yeah. It's it. There's a, not a culture of wanting or, and desiring and seeing the value of architecture across the board.
0: I think though it does stem from as you've mentioned, just the, the single-mindedness of it being mining, but An engineering that, place. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And. And powerfully so.
0: <laughs> and haven't we got some great everyone from Perth coming east? So mm. we love it. Yeah. And so talk to me about, you obviously met Simon Pendle at university. University, And so when did you decide to go out together?
1: So Simon was a wonderful student. He did great work. He went to London after graduating. We stayed in contact. When he came back, I invited him to come teach with me, Mm -hmm. became a great teacher um, and he continues to be such we really enjoyed each other's work and each other's company we just thought let's let's do something together so a competition came up i think it was the eco village in the north west we did the competition we loved the entry and we didn't win but we really loved the work so we just thought let's establish a practice and okay. teach and work
0: yep which
1: really enjoyed
0: how long did you do that for
1: We started the practice, I think, just as I finished my PhD, which was 2007. Then came Sydney in 2015. Simon and I wanted to continue the practice when I came over here. When we tried, it was just such an intimate practice. Literally, there was the two of us, maybe with a student from time to time. There was so much dialogue and contact. We just couldn't, it just wasn't working across.
0: It's harder the time difference,
1: too. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Rachel was running her practice. I was looking at that. I was teaching. And uh, we did our own house we just thought that process of designing that was such a wonderful experience. (laughs) We should just keep Keep, going there. Keep going.
0: And um, what were some of the projects? I mean, I've got a few of the brick ones here, but Mm -hmm. with yourself and Simon that you look back fondly on.
1: Every project. was an absolute joy of discussion and drawing and making and discussing. Um, The Think Brick competition was a highlight. Yeah, like it was it was an opportunity to put so many um, small experiments into into one new project. We ended up being equal winners on that with M three, and uh, we yes. we loved the process and loved the project and um, learned so much about it. So. And
0: I mean, you've been, and that was back in 2008 before my time, but that was when we used to have the About Face competition, which was a conceptual competition, Mm -hmm. um, obviously to encourage architects to design in brick, although you would say that in Western Australia
1: it did come naturally. It was like a no-brainer, yeah. I mean, (laughs) the likes of Brian Clopper, you know, um, making some of, I think, Australia's Best brick project using recycled brick at that time. Um, genius. He's pretty you know, visionary. It's well read. He knew how to make buildings. He worked on the site. In fact, I invited him to come and teach with me when I was running a fifth year studio. I just thought students need some of this. And he did. He worked with us. Mm. Quite a figure. He passed away. Yeah, and he passed year, away. So I think it was before. during COVID, yeah. I believe. Terrible. Yes. Terrible yeah. loss. Actually.
0: Yeah. Everyone knows about Brian. Yep. Yeah. Over there. So you've now come back to Sydney and with Rachel and you start, as you mentioned, the first uh, project was your own house, which was the hole in the roof house. Tell us a little bit about what you were trying to achieve.
1: We purchased a beautiful block of land with an existing house on it at the head of Bronte Gully. It was such a beautiful Mm site. I surfed close to the ocean. However, it was on a busy road. The triangular site, so you only had one neighbour, Beautiful expansive views to the east across Bronte Gully. We wanted all the joy that that gave, clearly, without the noise. We wanted to create a sanctuary of some description away from the noise. So we cut a hole in the northwest corner of the house mm-hmm. because the house was being built over that entire component. Cut a hole in the in the house, literally a hole in the roof.
0: A tiled Took, roof. I yeah, must, a tiled I must r- add. Yeah,
1: brick, and, <laughs> brick and tile house. In order to make that. That sort of solitude and then the the space that we lost from that space we built sort of on the on the busy side and yes. It, it worked beautifully. It, it is. It became a, a sanctuary and a quiet, sun filled place.
0: And Stephen, you've had a lot of time teaching and I just wondered whether you'd noticed any sort of trends or changes throughout that time looking
1: with trend is that students are always vibrant and wonderful and keen and want to do Great things. Um, changes have come from the universities wanting to be more research focused. Yep. And by research, that means typically specialization. Mm. But on the other side, architecture is actually, you need to be a really good generalist. You need right. to learn a bit about a lot of things in order to put that together. So there I think there is a little bit of a loss of the bigger picture of architecture and you've got to have research i did a phd i understand you mm. need, you need research to to take things on but as van shake you know my supervisor for the phd argued very well that research happens through the process of designing and making and you just need to articulate that and put that forward so i think that's been a big shift you know when okay. i went when I first joined Curtin University, they said, oh, okay, you're a good architect. You can do the work and take studio, but if you want any career in this place, you need to get a PhD. At that time, you had to do a written PhD. I had no interest in doing a written PhD, and they said, well, you'll never have a future. I said, well, okay. anyway, uh, Leon invented the PhD by project, so when that came, yes, in fact, I was offered a scholarship for that with Richard Black. Jenny Lawrence. It was a group of seven called Ephemeral Architectures and that was the first lot of seven to experiment with this idea of could you do a PhD by project.
0: And so what was your PhD? It
1: was called Speed Space Architecture, Landscape and Perception. Considering what it is to experience architecture, how you mentally process that and then how it comes back out through the design process and I had to model that. So fundamentally when you experience architecture you experience in a necessarily linear manner because we're embodied so you have yeah. to walk through the or run through the project or whatever you experience things one after the other in a sequence however that's not necessarily the way you remember the architecture you might remember the main living room or some space has a big memory bubble in your mind other places are smaller so yeah. the argument was that architecture is remembered in that way so perhaps it can also be designed in that way thought about in that way so i made a linear model that could then be folded up into a perception bundle and then you can unravel it again and then you can fold it up again so it's like unraveling unfolding into the world experiencing the world and then folding it back into a perceptual bubble in your mind and
0: And learning
1: to pull out of that
0: yeah, and what did you learn for yourself out of that? Like what was your biggest takeout?
1: That atmosphere matters, that the experience of a room at a particular time can hold incredible memories and that you can piece together lots of those memories from lots of cities, from lots of places and lots of buildings and you can start to construct those as a new architecture that's remembering all of those parts, not yeah. one that looks like this one or that one but taking parts from all of those and binding them into being, binding a, a new way of thinking.
0: So are you referring there to, and this this is just when you say that, I think is that the people that are in the room or as well as the time of day or the room, of the room
1: or both? It's the proportion of the room. Okay. It's the sense of light in the room. the room. It's the acoustic signature of the room. It's the things that you touch in the room, the way that it's all been bound together. Yep builds a builds an atmosphere yeah. and it's it holds it does it holds in the memory and everyone has those experiences and yep. often when we talk to clients that's what we ask them to recall rather than what does it look like mm. what are those things that you've experienced that are most magical for you yeah try and remake some of those
0: no it's it's true i think that's a lot of when you talk about making your home, you know, you're wanting to recreate some of those atmospheric mm. feelings that you had, particularly when you were younger, yep. I would
1: imagine. At any time. And, and yeah. I mean, Leon spoke about, you know, spatial memory so fondly. Simon took that on mm. in his PhD. I mean, so many architects, I think, have been influenced by Leon and that manner of thinking about architecture as as connected to spatial memory and for architects to learn to draw from that to, of course you study, of course you study the new masters, of course you study everything that's coming out. I mean, you understand the full depth of of architecture and you must do that but don't underestimate your own experiences either from childhood or from the day before.
0: Before we touch on the book, I did want to ask you you've obviously just in terms of your own artwork, is um, you've been successful in that as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: So highly influenced at Sydney University by Le Corbusier. When studying not only his work but his life, recognising that he would paint in the morning and do architecture the rest of the day, and wow. he was able to balance those two art forms and I always was interested in art at Sydney University. I was part of the Tin Shed. You could take painting as as an option. Okay. I took painting as an option every semester. Because I'd been to New South Wales Institute of Technology, I didn't have to take all of the construction subjects. I would take fine art instead. Matthias Gerber was teaching at the time. By the end of my, I think, sixth year, final year, (laughs) Matthias Turned to me and said, Stephen, you should be an artist. I <laughs> oh my god, I just spent yeah. all of this time in architecture. So I thought I always thought I could combine those two aspects. I've always drawn, inspired very much by Neil Durbach, who taught me at Sydney University, you know, who's always sketching and drawing. So and painting. That, that influence. So I've always since 87, yep. 86, kept the sketchbook, so I still wow. have the, the entire sequence. Did my own painting and continued to paint, but that ability to work as an artist and architect at the same time, the corporate girl, I mean, he's genius. So yep. I wasn't able to sustain that. It just art took either too much headspace or architecture took too okay. much headspace and teaching at the same time. So the art dropped off. Then I was, I think I saw an exhibition by Eurek Wybranek. I was really impressed and fell in love with the work. I thought oh, I should go and. Work with this guy. I going to, so I did. I approached him and said, "Could we do some collaboration, art, architecture collaboration right. together? Would you be interested?" He was interested, so we formed an art an art practice it's called surf. surf. Surf,
0: yes, okay. And
1: we we only did we did competitions, as in um, public artworks, and mm-hmm. were quite successful in that realm in Perth. So and enjoyed we- that process immensely. Yes, yeah. a wonderful artist, as is his wife Michelle. Actually, they're both.
0: So is it still honest. going? Is SERV still going? No, not oh,
1: really. We yeah. we did yeah we did one project here in Sydney, okay. and I think these now has become so busy. Eurex busy in his world. I think that thing of collaborating collaborating across the country is not easy. We're still the practice exists. Yes, so if the opportunity comes up. Does we'll, SERV we'll stand for anything? Well, it. Beside the ocean, uh, yeah. surf as in surfing, but we also quite like the old English sense of a surf as a as someone that was not a slave but a, a worker, someone working oh, yes. for others. Yeah. And we, were, we quite like that. Yeah. that play.
0: All right, so Stephen, how did I've got the book in front of me now? And as I said to you, I and Rachel, it's such a beautiful read. It's it's a lovely journey. Uh, really I guess for the three mm-hmm. the three sort of woven fabrics that come together, how did the book come to be?
1: Well, it was a direct invitation from Fleur Watson and Martin Hook at RMIT. They'd commenced this series mm. on Australian architects. They thought they would have a, you know, ongoing one a year yep. uh, across a sequence of, of years and practices from around the country. I just admire those guys so much for being confident in Australian architecture and publishing it and putting it out there. So Kirsten Thompson had done the first one. They yep. approached us to do the second. We were totally delighted to be part of that. I think there, it was connected, well, it is connected to an alumni. I'd studied RMIT. Yes. Studied so yes. it's connected yeah. to that as well, which is nice for them to teach so many or educate so many Australian architects, create postgraduate programs and then invite them back in. And but it's beautiful
0: that it's documented. Yeah, it
1: yeah. is. It's really nice to to document work, important to document work. It was a great process of us, of editing projects. I mean, it was great for Rachel too, having worked with Nick on a a body of work and then Nick dying and and Rachel having to work herself. So there's a body of work that she's done Uh, herself and then enter Stephen and the, the third transformation. So we're able to sort of document those three bodies of work it's really It's Which was a wonderful winding, actually.
0: Yeah, and it, it's, a, it's just described beautifully. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. And um, in the book, you talk a lot about tremoring. I yep. wonder whether you could just elaborate, articulate that for our listeners. Well,
1: It's a philosophical term, actually, about maybe connected to something like the sublime. Mm-hmm. It's that moment when you, you go into a room or you stand in front of something and you you suspend thinking you're really feeling and it, mm-hmm. your your perceptual mechanisms are heightened and it's almost like a tremoring. It's like something's happening here. I don't know what it is, but it, it's powerful and it's affecting my whole body, my whole psyche, mm. and that's tremoring. So these moments of tremoring are not, you know, you don't have them all the time, but it's um, to recognize that and to try and understand what's happening at that moment and what you're perceiving and what's m- what matters I think is important.
0: So and is that what you're asking your clients to do?
1: No. Okay. We're not asking them to do that. I think it's that's more in our realm and drawing on that. We're asking where I suppose we are asking them to recall important. We would never touch memory. <laughs> no, but no, but I
0: mean I mean I know what you're saying, but in an indirect way you are trying to
1: experience Yeah, we are. What? Yeah. Yes, we are trying to draw on their important moments. Yes their important experiences, what matters to them, yes, we are.
0: And the other sort of flavour of the book, um, which is no surprise, is just your involvement um, with the Indigenous and the cultural side of thing. And you touched on it a little bit earlier. Just um, explain a little bit, you talk a lot about walking hand in hand. How does that How does that play out well, in the a project?
1: The book's title is Setting Architecture. The- connection is the connection to landscape the connection to place so many wonderful architectural theorists philosophers um, architects discuss place or indigenous peoples have had such a close connection to place and to land to country for so long, there's there's a shared they're, they're different experiences of place and, and country and landscape, and there's some shared there's some overlaps, mm. and not for one to become the other. But we've worked we worked with um, Bibi Barber on um, the project Kame. We'd come at it with eyes open, trying to understand the place from two points of view. We worked with BB. Both of us had to throw out pe- preconceptions of unicultural direction mm. and we had to find a project together and that's when walking hand in hand came yeah it was powerful
0: you can see yeah you can see that
1: didn't know it was that powerful <laughs> but it was mm. it was um quite a moment mm. quite a moment to actually try and find a, an architecture together not reinforce known mechanisms known ways of working
0: Mm. Mm.
1: and continues to be
0: that's right when you are walking together with bibi what were the i guess what were some of the aspects that changed the way you thought about things
1: you know cartesian order which is something we're very familiar with Mm. isn't a familiar natural order for indigenous groups and the necessary architecture that results from the orders that we work with through habit aren't the orders that Bibi was drawing from the first project that we designed had a had a bark roof yep. which we'd drawn from the ways of making at, at kame at the time it was it was an ephemeral thing you know fires could come through mm-hmm. it could burn and you could you could rebuild you could learn from indigenous weaving patterns and mechanisms of working with bark they made canoes so you could you could work with that to create shelter we also had a concrete buildings below that because important collections that needed to be protected. Bibi saw that and said, looks like a Polynesian. That's we're not Polynesian, you know. Yeah. So it was and it looked cathedral like. So there were references from an indigenous perspective that were very specific. And Kameh is ground zero. It's contested ground. It's mm. it's an important place. It just felt like if people could walk hand in hand, you could find an Australia together. Yes. It'd be a great place so yeah. that's what affected us the, this, mm-hmm. the potential of of making a great place together
0: and also it's fascinating that there's all of these sort of perceptions or ideals that both sides have that aren't meant to offend but sort of can right. you know just because of the way we've all grown up
1: and there's yeah. a lot to find i just think australia is going to become such a wonderful nation when we can work with one another when we can let the truth be told and Mm. and we can all own up to it and embrace um, it and we can Mm. build a place together with a long long history Mm. Um, wonderful expertise Mm. coming from both sides wonderful perceptions coming from both sides I think there's a great future coming but Mm. it's um, take time and a lot of work
0: I agree Stephen you've one of the things that you've used a lot in many of your works is brick Mm -hmm. why brick
1: I just find it so versatile. You know, you can make a floor, you can make a ceiling, you can make a wall. It's the scale of the hand, it's the scale of a building. It has a gravitas to it. I just think it's a beautiful, a beautiful it's of the earth mm. formed in regular geometries. It, it works with vaults, it works in cantry constructions. It just has a lot okay to it. It, it can be worked it can be felt it has solidity it has longevity it can be recycled <laughs> it does a lot
0: is there i'm not asking you to choose your favorite child but is there a favorite brick project of yours the
1: favorite that's been designed would be the roseberry primary school which is under construction at the moment, moment. so that's that's going to be a recycled brick project. And it's of a civic scale. has a beautiful authenticity to it. It'll be one to watch. We can't wait to see that.
0: Um, And you've been a part of the awards for a long time. What do they mean to you, or the the architectural community, from your perspective?
1: I think annual events are really important to architecture to actually think about what you've done and to put forward what you think is important work for the rest of the profession or others to to judge and to look at i think it's important to show what architects do with a specific material and to showcase that and and to to put that in a group i think that's wonderful reflection you know you're curious mm. as an architect and you make new things to then put it out into the public and have others reflect on that and make a judgement is it's useful
0: yes yeah and out of curiosity how long did it take to, to write to complete the
1: book about a year yeah. it's a lot of effort on designers some of the the work was re mm. because the landscape had grown up around yep. around projects and to just see them in that context and with that beautiful lusciousness around them editing work deciding what was the better projects to be showcased in a book of this nature Working with Richard Black and Anna Johnson, who wrote such a wonderful uh-huh. essay mm. reflecting on the work, touring the projects with them, it was it was very good. And then Rich- Rachel and I took the opportunity to make a series of aphorisms or notes about sort of architecture that are important mm. to us. We both teach, so and we use those aphorisms yep. in our teaching. We thought it was a wonderful opportunity to formalise those as lessons for us in architecture mm. that could be shared. No, and I think that's what they are.
0: Yeah. And you spoke about it before when we were talking about partnering hand in hand. Mm. But what do you see as the biggest his focus for architects today That or sh- what should be the focus,
1: do you think? I think the focus is always to find a genuine project out of the circumstances that you're dealt with. So the client with all the nuances, the site with all of its particularities, the state of the economy and what you can afford and can't afford, the, the selection of materials through sustainability and, and longevity and weighing those, binding into being is the thing that needs to hold being aware of history being aware of contemporary works but then finding the project for that place for that client at that time finding is being yep. love it
0: stephen thank you so much and also for all the support that you've given our industry over the years can we just go into the rapid fire questions sure no problems all answers are acceptable yep reading the news a newspaper or online either Handwriting or typing? Handwriting. For sketching ideas and concepts, would you use a pencil, pen, or an e pen?
1: I always sketch in a uh, sketchbook, but I'm just transferring into an e pen and enjoying that a lot.
0: I read that. Do you like to read books or listen to audio books?
1: An art book, an architectural book, a mm. book mm. for fiction, audible.
0: What's important to you, style or substance? I don't care. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. TV shows or movies? Movies. Antique or brand new? Both. Call or text? Don't care. Travel back in time or into the future? Back. Exterior or interior?
1: Both at the same time.
0: Video games or board games? Board. Formal function?
1: They both matter.
0: In relation to design, complex or simple?
1: Mm. Simplicity comes to mind.
0: <laughs> and Stephen, we have spoken about the book. Um, where can people find it?
1: Any good bookshop, right. um, including my daughters purchased it in Perth for friends and others <laughs> at Dimmicks. At Dimmicks. Yeah.
0: Okay. We'll put all of those details in the show notes. Again, thank you for joining us and for all of your support of Brick
1: over the years. Thanks for having me in here. It was a joy.
0: Thanks. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our
1: show notes to let us know.